0: Today is February 10th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am delighted that you are here for this journey, this fascinating odyssey through the Word of God. We've spent the last month and a half now exploring the stories and meanings of Scripture We're finding reflections of ourselves in them, feeling the joys and the challenges, the difficulties, the struggles, the suffering, just like the people of earlier generations felt when they were actually living these stories, which is the goal of our expedition to know the God of our story intimately and have the Bible leave an impression on us every single time we experience it. As we begin, let's think about coming here every day with one goal. What does God want for me today? What does he want from me today? That might be two goals, but you understand. And have expectations about exactly what you'll give and take from this experience. Let's flow into this word and invite this word to flow into us. Exodus chapter 30 verse 11 through chapter 31, verse 18, the voice translation. The Eternal One continued giving instructions to Moses. When you take a census of the population of Israel, each person should pay a ransom to me, so that no disease will spread among them when you count them. Everyone who is counted must bring one-fifth of an ounce of silver, a weight based on the sanctuary's measure, where two-thirds of an ounce equals twenty giraffes, and it is to be given to me as an offering. Everyone who is twenty years old and older will be counted and must give this offering to me. The rich will not pay more, and the poor will not pay less than one-fifth of an ounce. This money will go to me in order to ransom your lives." Take all the money collected from the people of Israel and use it to provide for the service of the congregation tent. This will serve as a constant reminder of my covenant with Israel and provide a way to atone for your lives. The Eternal One instructed Moses regarding the basin for ceremonial washing. Make a bronze basin for ceremonial washing and set it on a bronze stand. Place it between the congregation tent and the altar. Keep water in it at all times. When Aaron and his sons enter the congregation tent, or when they approach the altar to minister before me by offering a sacrifice by fire, they must wash their feet and hands so that they will not die. It is important that they are to wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This directive stands forever for Aaron and his descendants, and they must observe it throughout all generations. The Eternal One instructed Moses regarding the anointing oil. Collect the best spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, 6 pounds of fragrant cinnamon, 6 pounds of fragrant cane, and 12 pounds pounds of cassia, in accordance with the sanctuary weights, and one gallon of olive oil. Blend all these spices together like a skillful perfumer to make a holy anointing oil. This fragrant mixture will be used as a holy anointing oil. Use it to anoint the congregation tent and the covenant chest, the table and all its accessories, the lampstand and its tools, the altar of incense, the altar for the burnt offering and all its tools, and the basin and its stand. Consecrate all these furnishings and their utensils so that they are most holy. Anything that touches them will become holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, so that they are able to serve as my priests. Address the Israelites and say, This is my sacred anointing oil that you will use for all generations. It must not be poured on anyone else. Do not attempt to make an anointing oil for your own purposes with the same ingredients in the same proportions. It is sacred, and it is to be sacred to you. Whoever makes a similar blend or anoints anyone who is not ordained as a priest will be cut off from the community. The Eternal One instructed Moses regarding the fragrant incense. Gather three aromatic spices, stack tea, anica, galbanum, and mix them with pure frankincense in equal measure. Have a perfumer take this mixture and blend it carefully with salt in order to create a pure and sacred incense. Grind it into a fine powder and place some of it in front of the covenant chest in the congregation tent where I will meet you. It will be most holy to you. Do not attempt to make incense for yourselves with the same ingredients in the same proportion. You must regard this as perfectly sacred to me. Whoever makes an incense like it and uses it for themselves will be cut off from the community. The Eternal One instructed Moses, Look, I have a special calling upon one of the sons of Judah, His name is Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur. I have filled him with God's Spirit, gifted him with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and skills with a variety of crafts. He is an expert designer and works well with gold, silver, and bronze. He is able to cut and set gems, work with wood, and skillfully perform any craft needed to help construct the congregation tent and its furnishings. I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, to assist Bezalel. I have gifted all of Israel's artisans with the skills needed to build everything I have instructed you. The congregation tent, the covenant chest, the seat of mercy that covers it, all the furnishings for the tent, the table and its accessories, the pure gold lampstand with all its tools, the altar of incense, the altar for burnt offering with all its utensils, the washing basin and its stand, the woven garments, Aaron's sacred priestly garments, the clothes worn by Aaron's sons when they serve as my priests, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense to be used in the holy place. The craftsmen are to design and build all of these exactly as I have instructed you. The Eternal One instructed Moses regarding the Sabbath. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, You must be careful to observe my Sabbaths, for the Sabbath day serves as a sign between me and you for all generations so that you will know I am the eternal one who has set you apart from all the other nations. Keep the Sabbath because it is a sacred day for you, different from all the other days. Anyone who violates the Sabbath or defiles it must be executed. Anyone who works on the Sabbath will be cut off from the community. You have six days out of every week to do whatever work is needed. But the seventh day is the Sabbath a day set aside for rest and only rest. It is sacred to me. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be executed. Therefore, the Israelites are to keep the Sabbath and celebrate it throughout all their generations as an everlasting covenant. The Sabbath exists as a sign forever of the covenant between me and the people of Israel. For I made heaven and earth in six days, But then on the seventh day, I stopped my work and was refreshed. When God had finished giving these instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai, He gave Moses the two stone tablets as a witness to their agreement inscribed by the very finger of God. Matthew 26 verses 47 through 68 There he was, Judas, one of the twelve leading a crowd of people from the chief priests and elders with swords and clubs. The chief priests and the elders were right there, ready to arrest Jesus. And Judas, the one who intended to betray him, had said to the elders and the chief priests that he would give them a sign. Judas Iscariot, I'll greet him with a kiss. And you will know that the one I kiss is the one you should arrest. So at once he went up to Jesus. Greetings, teacher. He kisses him. My friend, do what you have come to do. And at that, the company came and seized him. One of the men with Jesus grabbed his sword and swung toward the high priest's servant, slicing off his ear. Put your sword back. People who live by the sword die by the sword. Surely you recognize that if I called on my father, he would send 12 legions of messengers to rescue me. But if I were to do that, I would be thwarting the scriptural story, wouldn't I? And we must allow the story of God's kingdom to unfold. To the crowds, why did you bring these weapons, these clubs and bats? Did you think I would fight you? That I would try to dodge and escape like a common criminal? You could have arrested me any day when I was teaching in the temple, but you didn't. This scene has come together just so, so that the prophecies in the sacred scripture could be fulfilled. And at that, all the disciples ran away and abandoned him. The crowd that had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. The scribes and elders had gathered at Caiaphas' house and were waiting for Jesus to be delivered. Peter followed Jesus, though at some distance so as not to be seen. He slipped into Caiaphas' house and attached himself to a group of servants. And he sat watching, waiting to see how things would unfold. The high priest and his council of advisors first produced false evidence against Jesus, False evidence meant to justify some charge in Jesus' execution. But even though many men were willing to lie, the council couldn't come up with the evidence it wanted. Finally, two men stood up. Look, he said, I can destroy God's temple and rebuild it in three days. What more evidence do you need? Then Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up and addressed Jesus. Aren't you going to respond to these charges? What exactly are these two men accusing you of? Jesus remained silent. Under a sacred oath before the living God, tell us plainly, are you the anointed one, the son of God? So you seem to be saying, I will say this, beginning now, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God's power and glory and coming on heavenly clouds. The high priest tore his robes and screeched, Blasphemy! We don't need any more witnesses. We've all just witnessed this most grievous blasphemy right here and now. So, gentlemen, what's your verdict? He deserves to die. Then they spat in his face and hid him. Some of them smacked him, slapped him across the cheeks, and jeered. Well, anointed one, Prophesy for us, if you can, who hit you, and who is about to hit you next. Psalm 32, a contemplative song of David. The Psalms celebrate God's forgiveness that comes through confession and repentance. Some interpreters link this Psalm to David's sin with Bathsheba after Nathan had exposed his transgression. But the king certainly had other failings. Even if we do not associate this psalm with any personal transgression by David, it serves well as a model confession for those who are painfully aware of their sin. How happy is the one whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sin is hidden from sight? How happy is the person whose sin the eternal will not take into account? How happy are those who no longer lie to themselves or others? When I refused to admit my wrongs, I was miserable, moaning and complaining all day long so that even my bones felt brittle. Day and night, your hand kept pressing on me. My strength dried up like water in the summer heat. You wore me down. When I finally saw my own lies, I owned up to my sins before you and I did not try to hide my evil deeds from you. I said to myself, I'll admit all my sins to the eternal, and you lifted and carried away the guilt of my sin. So let all who are devoted to you speak honestly to you now while you are still listening. For then when the floods come, surely the rushing water will not even reach them. You are my hiding place. You will keep me out of trouble and envelop me with songs that remind me I am free. I will teach you and tell you the way to go and how to get there. I will give you good counsel and I will watch over you. But don't be stubborn and stupid like horses and mules who, if not reined by leather and metal, will run wild, ignoring their masters. Tormented and empty are wicked and destructive people, but the one who trusts in the eternal is wrapped tightly in his gracious love. Express your joy. Be happy in him, you who are good and true. Go ahead, shout and rejoice aloud, you whose hearts are honest and straightforward. Proverbs chapter 8 verses 27 through 32. When he created the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the deep, dividing the oceans and the sky, I was there. I was there when he established the sky. I was there when the springs in the deep were fortified. I witnessed him lay down the shore as a boundary and put limits on the water and determine the foundations of the earth. All this time, I was close beside him, a master craftsman. Every day, I was his delightful companion, celebrating every minute in his presence. Elated by the world he was making and all its fine creatures, I was especially pleased with humanity. So now, listen to me, my children. Those who live by my ways will find true happiness. So in the Old Testament today, we're continuing to witness God offer instructions and ordinances for the incense altar, the yearly religious tax, which revolved around the census and was a small piece of silver used to support both the maintenance of the tent and meant to remind the people of their need for atonement every time they had to pay it. We also see him offering very specific instructions on how to mix the anointing oil. The other really interesting thing that seems to just keep coming up in our readings is God selecting people to do specific things. And today we see him choosing Bezalel and Oholiab to lead the construction of the tabernacle and the making of all its furnishings. The Bible says that God had filled them with his spirit and many scholars believe this was a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit coming and bestowing believers with all the different gifts of the Spirit. But with Aholiab and Bezalel, God gifted them with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and skills with a variety of crafts. They were expert artisans and master craftsmen, according to Exodus. And there are two things that we can take from this. One, if God calls you to it, he will equip you for it. And two, there are all kinds of needs and responsibility for the building of God's church. We need those with theological expertise and leadership savvy, to be sure. But we also need those who can build and repair, organize, manage, and strategize. We need those with carpentry skills. We can't have the church falling apart. But we also need people who are gifted in music ministry and production. We need people who can manage events and others still who have a knack for writing or speaking. God has gifted us in different ways, each of us, for the building of his church. And that is physically and spiritually. He wants us all using our unique gifts, skills, talents, experience, and expertise. And I know I have belabored this point to death, so I'm not gonna stay here today But we see it in scripture. He has gifted people to do very specific things, and it's up to us to carry out that plan. And then in the New Testament, here comes Judas, leading the mob, who apparently came ready to fight because they had clubs and bats and swords. And I know what I said yesterday, but I take it back. I am mad at Judas. I cannot believe that he walked with Jesus for all this time, Supped with him, sat at his feet, received all his teaching, and then for 30 freaking pieces of silver, which was the price paid to the master of an enslaved person if they were accidentally killed by an animal, and it wasn't even considered a large amount of money. You betray God in the flesh? Sir, make it make sense. What did you really stand to gain? What did you think you were gonna get out of this? Money? When you were literally friends with the man who came offering you the priceless gift of eternal life? But he did it. Judas, he did it in the most trifling way, with a kiss, which is meant to be an expression of affection and affinity, a physical gesture of closeness and loyalty. And that is how you choose to identify him? Why couldn't you just point? Once he did, though. The mob came and they seized Jesus. Then Peter, who exercised both poor judgment and poor aim, because Lord knows he was probably trying to kill the guy, cut one of the men's ears off. And Jesus says, probably a bit aggravated, Peter, put your sword up. You're doing too much. You don't think I can call my father right now and a whole army of angels would be down here to defend me? You still don't get it. As many times as I have told y'all that this is how things have to happen, you are still clueless. And then he looks at the crowd like the cowards and clowns they were. He says, was all this even necessary? Y'all got clubs and swords to capture me? You saw me teaching every day in the temple and not once did y'all try to arrest me. But now you come for me in the middle of the night like I'm some kind of dangerous criminal with all this foolishness? But it's all good. I get it. Even if y'all don't, this is how it has to go down according to the scriptures. But cowards, they definitely were. Because if you recall, back in Matthew 26, 5, they said to each other that they had to secretly capture him because if they didn't, the people would riot. So they didn't want any smoke from the crowds. And thanks to Judas, they knew exactly where to come and get Jesus because Judas would have known all the places Jesus likes to frequent to pray and get away from all the people. Then, after all of this happens, this whole episode of them coming to capture Jesus like a mob in the middle of the night, the disciples desert him and flee. These same friends who had just said, may it never be us, Master, we'll never leave you. We'll never turn our backs on you. Did that exact thing when he needed them most. Later that night, Jesus is put on trial, and we see all the exaggerated outrage and melodrama by the high priest who tore his clothes and screeched to show his horror at the few words that Jesus did speak. It was all a farce, nothing more than a show trial with a predetermined outcome. The judges didn't want to hear his side, they just wanted him dead. But of course, we know that this horrible experience was all a part of a larger plan for our redemption. The woman with the alabaster box who anointed Jesus' head and what we read a couple days ago is the one final thing that I want to point out. What a beautiful vignette it is of a woman who understood the assignment, both assignments, hers and Jesus's. The Gospel of John tells us that this woman was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Whereas them disciples were more concerned about how expensive the oil was and how it could have been sold and give it to the poor, Mary was concerned about how much Jesus was worth and how he should be honored. She was willing to give her best, her most expensive thing to Jesus. What an example she is to us today. Because she showed us what is really important, to make the best use of our resources to honor God as much as we can. Hers was the last act of love that Jesus received before the treachery and trauma he would endure. What a legacy. And from Mary to Judas, what a contrast. In the end, one chose death and the other chose life. One chose to walk out on him. The other chose to worship him. One chose to betray him. The other chose to stay with him. One earned Jesus' respect. The other, his ridicule. Both were there the night of the arrest and the story of their lives and choices has been passed down for generations in the scriptures. But one we remember with condemnation, the other with admiration. What an incredible lesson these two characters teach us about the power of our decisions. What will our story be? What will people remember about us? What will they say? And I'm not talking about in the halls of history, I'm just talking about what our friends, family, and peers will remember about us. What legacy will we leave? Every day we are pinning a narrative about our lives with the way that we choose to show up or not, with the way we treat people, with the way that we spend our time. Every day we get to decide what story we want to write. We get to decide what the next page or the next chapter will be. We get to decide who we will become with who we choose to be. Let's think about that as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be mindful of our decisions and to make choices that will honor you. Remind us that our stories are being written every day and let them be stories of love and loyalty like Mary's. Help us to draw on the Psalms that we're reading each day to let them speak to our hearts and keep us grounded in what matters. Bring back to our remembrance the proverbs we've heard so that we can make wise choices, so that we can own our sins and confess them immediately, to have honest hearts and straightforward, sound minds. Guide us on the right path and use our stories to inspire and lead others. Help us, Lord, to be vulnerable enough to share what needs to be shared so that it can serve as a cautionary tale for someone else and save somebody some unnecessary heartache and suffering. And Lord, while we are in this sacred space, reveal to us what you want us to know and how you want us to contribute to your larger story. We are open and receptive with our pen in hand. We want nothing more than to please you. Speak to us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And our affirmation, my life has purpose and my time is precious. I will waste neither on things that do not serve me or further my mission here on earth. My life has purpose and my time is precious. I will waste neither on things that do not serve me or further my mission here on earth. And our aphorism. The real purpose of our existence is not to make a living, but to make a life. A worthy, well-rounded, useful life. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for being here and sharing this time with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.